Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, a podcast that has never been infected by ransomware. That <laughs> intro comes from Kini76 on Twitter. We love your intros. Like I said, we're, we're looking looking for the best of the best here. So keep sending them in. Uh, but I am Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Verge executive editor, Recode editor-at-large, Walt Mossberg, the Walter Cation himself. How's it going, Walt? It's going great, Neil. It's going great. Lots of things happening. Lots of things happening. I'm all I'm all jazzed up because Google I/O literally just ended. So I'm in. It the, just ended. Yeah. We're, like where it ended, I took a breath, walked in the podcast studio. So we're going to talk about Google I/O. Uh, we got to talk about. We have to talk about Microsoft and ransomware. There's other stuff going on too, but we we should start. It's always good to start. Yeah. Because then it's possible to finish. <laughs> So, control out delete a podcast that occasionally (laughs) comes to an end. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's actually (laughs) truer than you think. It absolutely is. Um, So, IO is today. Um, We have so much on the verge. Uh, You should go read it all. Um, Yeah, there's at least like 20 stories. I mean, it's amazing. Perhaps more. Uh, Dieter has a big feature. On AI, what Google is doing with AI. It's really interesting. I encourage you to read it. He does. Uh, Casey Newton has a big piece on the future of Google Photos, which is fascinating. Uh, we just There's a bunch of reporters there. Uh, I think Addie Robertson's there. Vatavas is there. We're, we're going crazy on Google I.O. There's, there's so much to talk about. But there's some highlights we should focus on. You want to get into them, Walt? Yeah, let, let me just try for an overview. Yeah. I, I, first of all, uh, listeners should know I was not there. But um, I, I watched it and read all of our uh, incisive coverage and watched all of our videos and some of the, uh, you know, Sundar Pichai's opening and a few others. Um, I think, uh, you know, my general impression or the way I think you could summarize this is I think it's part two of last year. Yeah. Not to knock it down. Last year, they said they were switching from mobile first to AI first and um, – in fact, they've been working very hard right down to the level of special chips, and they announced a cloud-optimized uh, uh, version of, of one of those chipsets uh, or boards uh, this year in probably the least interesting uh, slide at the, at the <laughs> event. But, the TPU, but, no, that's but what they call super it. Important, yeah. Super, super important, super important. Yeah, TPU, T for Tensor? Tensor T- TensorFlow. That's their, that's their TensorFlow. AI. That's their thing, yeah. yeah. So this is part two. So they they went to AI first. They Sundar stressed last year. He stressed w- uh, with me in a code interview we, we did uh, after afterward that you know this is super early days, and um, so this year and and in in between they brought out what they announced last year, which was the Google Home device and the Google Assistant on phones on Android phones. Um, in just in certain places on Android phones, certain Android phone models. Um, over the course of the year, that has spread to more Android phone models, but not all, maybe not even most, for all I know. Uh, and so they picked up where they left off, and what they did today was to uh, you know, kind of say, okay, we're still AI first, we're doing this stuff. Here's a bunch of new stuff for Google Home, and a lot of it looks kind of random and think Dieter pointed that out in his essay, but it is, again, you know, taken together, it's a bunch of steps, you know, like phone calling and, um, uh, you know, they can you can cast certain things to your TV screen from Google Home, just a couple of examples. They may sound like isolated little features, and they are, to be fair, but you can also look at them all together as just further slow, inevitable progress toward... Uh, ambient computing toward yeah. AI being kind of the the main thing, and they also big thing was to uh, they announced they're putting it on the iPhone. You and I just before it we went on the air were saying it's almost impossible to find by searching <laughs> in the iPhone App Store. But in fact, if you follow a direct link in one of our stories, I can't remember which one. We had so much great coverage, but there was a link that said right here. It's probably the story that says it's coming to the iPhone and it says right here. And I clicked on it and sure enough, there it was. And so I got it. 
Yeah. And um, I immediately found out it could not, uh, I could not order Google Home to play this podcast. Yeah. Uh, which annoyed me. Um, Echo will do it. <laughs> I mean, and Alexa will do it. The split uh, between the the assistants from from all the companies and what they can do where is very yeah. Confusing. It's very it's very odd. It's it's very odd. I actually bitched early on. I bitched to somebody at um, Amazon. Yeah. That the, it couldn't recognize the phrase "Control Walt to Lead," and within a week it could. So <laughs> I don't great. know if there's cause and effect, but I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. So maybe we need to talk to. Uh, somebody at Google, but um, anyway, um, that, maybe this is what you do post retirement. People just submit their, your, their complaints directly <laughs> right. to you, and you you slowly pass them on. You can. I know, but how desk. do I monetize that? I mean, you know, <laughs> I I won't have journalistic <laughs> ethics to worry about anymore. Yeah, but exactly. I still have to have a business model. You know, no, it's it's the same as the the ISPs. Five dollars <laughs> to go to the top of the queue. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Paid prioritization with Walter. Walt's queue. <laughs> That's great. I'm telling get you, it, get it done with Walt. Someone, but, someone, get waltzq.com lined up because this is this is a billion dollar business. Here we go. Uh, yeah. So my, my sense is this is it's not a immensely super duper exciting IO, but it is true to what they said last year. They're moving along. Uh, yeah. I I personally think Google Photos is a particularly interesting one. It also falls into the AI theme. Uh, they've had AI in Google Photos, and to be honest, um, Apple and has had a little AI in their photo app. Uh, not not as good, I don't think, as Google's. And you know, so it's a natural thing. It re- it recognizes certain kinds of things. It groups together faces. You know, if I have and I do have some pictures of you, it, Google will try to say, "Will give me a folder of pictures yeah. of you." Now, if I open that folder. It may be that some of the pictures I know I have of you are not in there because it's not perfect. And it may also have – I mean I have found in some Google Photos folders that say they are pictures of a particular person, uh, you know, pictures of different people who look nothing like the person I'm looking for. So it does make some mistakes uh, as you would expect at this point. But it's remarkably good. Um, yeah. And they're making it better, and you know they're going. Well, so the, the the way they're bridging photos and the assistant through something they're calling Google Lens, I think is particularly yeah. fascinating. And it's, you know, the the let's group together a bunch of similar faces. You know, Facebook does that in its platform. Apple's been able to do that for a while. I, I think Google's the sense I get from Google is is very much what you're saying. This is a continuation, and their right. pace now is to. They're just using their scale to do things. It, it is almost like they're just keep on saying, look, look what we can do now. Like, we have so much scale. We have so much data. We're so invested in AI. Like, here's the next new feature. So they can look at a photo that you take through a chain link fence and erase the fence. Well, that uh, was to me, to me, if the, if the chip was the dullest picture yeah. you show threw up on the screen or video, the, the chain link fence thing was the best. And yeah. you want to finish describing it because it's an amazing thing. I mean, they're they're just doing it's a virtualized picture. image. No, you're not doing it right. Here's okay. what it is. <laughs> Here's what it is. You go to your your daughter's you know little league game or whatever, yeah. whatever it's called. You know, school baseball game. She's at she's at the plate, and but you're shooting it through a chain link fence. Uh, which is in fact where they ought to put the fathers behind the chain link fence so they don't scream at the kids. But and you so you take a picture, but there's this chain link fence between you and her. Now you know you might some people might think that's you want to keep that in for verite or whatever. But most people I think don't want to see that chain link fence. So Google can get rid of it. Now yeah. our story pointed out that you can do that in Photoshop if you really know how to use Photoshop and you have hundreds of dollars and whatever Photoshop costs now and or and and you have some skill but Google just does it and yeah, there's no that's how. that's machine learning and it just it just showed it moving away now I suspect you know they obviously like Apple does like everyone does they pick the example that they know works right now um, there probably are some other thing other examples like that where you're going to be really annoyed that it doesn't uh, do that but that's the power of machine learning and because in other words, it's actually the algorithms and the software are smart enough to say this is this is in space between you and the and the girl at home plate and it's not 
one of these things, it's like the old Sesame Street thing. One of these things is not like the other, you know, and <laughs> just going to take it away. And yeah. and that's cool. I will and the say, other piece of it is that Google ahead. has tons of photos from all over the world. So it's actually able to compare the data sets. And right. so it, it the amount of data they need to do that and to say this is what this photo looks like without a chain link fence and like here's some other photos from this location that can help us analyze this space – that data set for them is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, I think in Casey's piece, he pointed out Google Photos has over 500 million users now. Right. And as that keeps growing, their ability to do other crazy things keeps growing and growing as well. Yeah. And I just I just want to say, you, you know, you mentioned I'm retiring and I am retiring. Uh, I, I promise I'm going to retire, but <laughs> uh, I'm pre-retiring now. That's what it says in our Slack. Um, but yeah. Um, I, uh, because I'm retiring, I've been putting up on social media some photos of folks I, I work with or have worked with over the years that I feel grateful toward and want to, you know, give shout outs to. And so I've been looking for a lot of pictures and um, I have Macs and Apple devices, but I, uh, and so of course I have Apple's Photos app and um, and I have Google Photos and I have to tell you, on average, I'm uh, I'm finding it easier to find what I want on the Google one, uh, again and again. You know, sometimes it, it works the other way, but uh, it's not a hundred percent of the time. But there's just the the Google one is smarter. It's smarter, yeah. and it's interesting because it's not native. I mean, I have enabled it to capture all the photos I take on my iPhone, which is my daily driver phone, but. Um, so it's you could say well it's getting the same photos as as the Apple app is and it is getting them I, I'm not exactly sure how it gets them maybe it, it's a two step process under the hood but but once it's there what it does with it is smarter yeah. than the than the Apple one and that's because it sends it off to the cloud I mean this is we've talked about this before Apple yeah. wants to do so much of it on your phone and you know they have differential privacy and all these things that we've talked about at length before. Google's sending it to the cloud and doing it all there, and they're you know they, they have privacy challenges of their own. Uh, but well, and that and that brings that brings us to the last thing that uh, that struck me after reading. I think I read all our stories and and um, wait, can I say one more thing about photos before? Sure, we get to that? absolutely. The the two other things that Google Lens can do. One of them is just my favorite. Uh, so you know their demos. You're walking down the street. You see a concert venue. You right. point assistant at it. It knows what's playing at the concert. You can just buy the tickets. Right. That's cool. That's whatever. The dumber one, the simpler one, is you're at a friend's house and you say, "What's the Wi-Fi password?" Oh, I know, it's, I know, I knew it's you would print it on the side of the, the router. The second I saw this, I thought, "This is the Neolife feature." Yeah, and you go and you point your camera at the side of your friend's junky ISP provided router with the pre-printed Wi-Fi password on it, and it snaps it, recognizes it, and joins the Wi-Fi. And it's it's the and joins the Wi-Fi part that's the wow part of that. Yeah. And I, I, that's the one where I think Sundar even said this. He said, we can do all this amazing stuff. We can you know, help researchers identify new molecules and drug research and materials. And then we can do silly things. And I think that combination of the two, where this seems like such a silly thing, it actually in, like it frees your time from having to figure out how the yeah, I don't actually think it is silly. I think it's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's it's just really cool, but it's it's small. It's a tiny little thing that I think yeah it it just makes people feel better about using their devices, and that means they're going to use them more. But and there is a but if you care about privacy, yep. you you may be willing to take a somewhat less magical photo app in Apple, which will, I'm sure, announce new features in its photo app at its developers conference, which is coming up in a few weeks. Um, you may be willing to take that rather than knowing that all your personal photos have to go through Google's cloud and Google's algorithms uh, before uh, these magical things can happen. Sure. And here's a simple one. Uh, Google once got dinged for driving around and scanning Wi-Fi networks. Yeah, that happened. Uh, that happened. The government told them to stop doing that. Now they're encouraging you to run around taking photos not only of where the Wi-Fi networks are, but the passwords for the secure ones. Yeah, like, that no. you have to trust Google with a lot of things, uh, and they have to continuously earn that trust. 
You know, I, I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll be quick. Um, so we have an echo in the kitchen. I think you do too. And um, my wife, who is super smart but not in, very interested in the details of tech, um, keeps it muted uh, a yeah. lot of the time. You know, it turns red, and it's supposedly when it's muted, it's not listening for the keyword. You have no reason to believe that's true, but it looks like that. And I said to her, are you not trusting Amazon? What's What in your experience with Amazon, which she uses all the time, as do I, as do you, I'm sure, uh, to buy things and to, you know, we use Prime. We, you know, we just use it for, for a lot of things. What about Amazon has made you feel they're untrustworthy? Do we ever have any evidence that they've sold our information do we ever have any evidence that they've had a breach? Not that I mean, not that I know of. They have our credit card info, you know, because we have mm -hmm. one click. They have all that kind of stuff. And she goes, "I don't know. It's just creepy." And we also have a Google Home in another room of our house, which I don't think she's figured out how to mute yet. But that's even, you know, that's even worse in a way. I mean, Google and Facebook both uh, are are companies that you just know in your bones. Um, it's in their DNA. It's in their business model to collect all this information. And yes, there can be wonderfully cool results from it, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to, I predict to you that before this evolution to AI everywhere happens, they're going to have to figure out some new guardrails on privacy and stick to them. And it may mean yeah. they have to change their business model a little. Yeah. Addie Robertson, who was there live vlogging, I think had the quote of the live vlog, which is, everything Google does is super exciting and fun and ambitious and 1% away from being the plot of a dystopian sci-fi movie. Yeah. No, and, I, and, that's right. And, and that's just where they live. And I think Google has learned to live in that zone. And it, that's I think that's fine. But they're always just that one more tick away from... For example, there was a demo with uh, with photos yep. where the uh, the demo person brought out a cardboard cutout of his kids and then like took a picture, and the AI was fooled. Right? That's not a great. You don't. That's actually not what you want. You you don't want it to get fooled by cardboard cutouts instead of real people. And so they've got, they've just got to constantly navigate that. They've got another feature in YouTube called Super Chat, where uh, you can, the audience can pay to interact with the YouTubers. Th that yeah. is almost the plot of a horror movie, like a really yeah. fun horror movie, but still a horror movie. <laughs> no, it's a horror movie. No, look, look um, and if I'm sitting in, in uh, Cupertino where, uh, where you know, Apple has a, a bunch of its own issues, which we're going to get to in a minute or some of their issues we'll get to in a minute. But um, if I'm Tim, Tim Cook or, you know, any of their major executives and I'm sitting there and watching this. I'm thinking how much – gee, they can do a lot because they have all this information. How much can we do with our differential privacy and our – we're doing it all on the phone? It may be that they can uh, do a lot of this. I don't know. You suspect no, not, but who knows? And so part of you is saying, oh, well, shit, you know, we can't quite do that. But yeah. part, of, part of you is saying they are – there is going to be a problem or two problems or three problems – with with Google and and privacy, and we feel pretty good right now, given the ransomware thing, that we didn't create an iOS for Jim Comey, uh, yeah. for the iPhone, that 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 he promised they were going to keep in a safe and nobody would know about it and it would <laughs> never leak out, and you know because the basis of this ransomware attack apparently was an exploit that the NSA had in hand somewhere, but that somehow got stolen from them. Uh, uh, and so, you know, it's, I just think back to Google, I mean, they're marching along on the path they set out last year. I mean, last year's I.O. was certainly, I think, more consequential than this year's. Uh, this year, they're showing more of the fruits of what they laid out last year, and they're only beginning, but there's more. Uh, and here it is. We're laying it out for you. Um, and yeah. by the way, you iOS people are going to benefit from this too. Uh, you, you know, you have to be on the iPhone because it's the single most popular phone in the world. Even if yeah. you know, we're not. I know some listeners might be confused because the platform 
numbers are overwhelmingly Android. But the individual device, the iPhone is the most popular phone. So you want to be there. And that's, and that's not new. Google's been doing that for a long while. So they're showing you more and more and more. But I think at one, one point or, or another, they're just going to have to rethink their whole approach to guaranteeing your privacy and to maybe even whether it's a great idea to base their whole business model on the collection of all this information. So they insisted to Dieter that they are not even remotely thinking about monetizing Google Assistant yet. So there's that. So, so I read that. Maybe they're going to have a different. But they said yet. Well, yeah, but I, I read. I reread the sentence three they, times. They definitely they said, said yet. yet. But there is a chance that they don't build that revenue model on advertising, which changes the equation a little bit. There's a chance that they will, but they certainly haven't talked about it. And I think more than anything, what they can do is more explicitly talk about protecting your privacy in these moments when they're talking about all the cool things it can do with your data. Uh, and so if there's one thing missing from I.O., it was, that, it was that backstop against all the cool things it can do now. So it's very yeah. exciting and very fun, and they, Google can literally do things that no other company can do because of their vast collection of data and huge investment in AI. But they, they don't often backstop it with, and we promise we'll keep everything safe in this exact way. Well, and the, and, and the thing is, they needed to backstop it with not just saying it, but saying here, and here's our new feature yeah. that is privacy. And, they're, and, they're, and, here's, and our, here's our new, I don't know, algorithm or software or something that we haven't had before that's going to guarantee your privacy. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it would be, but... But I, I, I want to come back to Assistant on the iPhone for a second, because there, there are a few things there that are interesting to me. One, it's not in the main Google app, which was a big choice that Google made. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, because I've used their voice yeah. their voice command thing in the... I, I use the Google app on the iPhone a lot, and I use the, the microphone part of it uh, quite a bit. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So they told Dieter that they, you know, Google search they have taught people is for public information. And every time they've tried to make Google search show you private information, people yeah. people get uncomfortable because mixing your the, the public information with private information is hard. And, and quite frankly, it's weird whenever I see it, whenever I see Google do that. So we want to pull it apart. The second thing, and I, I, they were less forthcoming about this, but I think you know, you're saying that iPhone is the most important single device. I think an icon on the home screen of a user's iPhone, the main home screen, is the most important real estate in the entire tech industry. So it's the most valuable thing. It, yeah, if, it is. if you can get there and you can get people looking at your icon there every day, like think about I don't know, the business of The Verge. How, the Verge comes through you, there it comes to you through everybody else's icons, right? We we come at you through the Facebook icon, we come at you through the Twitter icon, we come at you through the YouTube icon, the Instagram icon, but very few people, I think Walt and I among them, have Verge icons on their home screen. I'd like more people to have it, um, but the the main real estate is big companies' icons. I have it, but once I retire, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone, right? Uh, <laughs> Google comes at you mostly through the Safari icon. Some people put Chrome on their device, but most people experience Google through Apple's Safari icon on the iPhone. Or, th- or through the icon. Like I have the search, right. Google right. search icon. But that's right. one. But on that main home screen... It's Safari. A lot of people have the YouTube icon on their home screen, and that's a big deal. And uh, Susan Wojcicki, the CEO of, of YouTube, gave a pro- whole presentation I.O. today. The first I.O. she's ever been at, actually, which I found very strange. Um, but she was uh-huh. there. But Assistant, if they can get people to put the Google Assistant icon on their home screen, and that becomes the primary way that you are asking and on the, the internet. You mean on their first screen. On their first yeah. screen. And that becomes, yeah, but there's another thing also. They yeah. have a widget. They've and got while a widget. you were while you were talking just now, I installed it. Yeah. So as soon as I figure out how to move it around. <laughs> yeah, Apple doesn't make that particularly I easy. I guess I hit the edit button, and then I can move it around so that it's higher. Yeah. I could make it the first assistant I see, the first uh, widget I see. So then yeah. what happens is, yeah, there it is. Now it's at the, now all I do is, is swipe from my main screen to the right and the Google Assistant is there and it says has a microphone it says talk to your assistant yeah so is that as good as the home the home button 
which brings up Siri. Uh, no. Yeah. No. But it's, it's not just a home button, but it's it's getting there, right? They, they're colonizing when they need to. But th- my point is they made it a separate app, not, I think, for the public-private information thing. That's very important. But the idea that Google wants another spot on the iPhone home screen, I, th- I, I think that's the fight. How many spots can you get on the home screen? Facebook has two for a lot of people, Facebook and Instagram. For a lot of people, it's three. They even have WhatsApp. I have two, but one of them is an Instagram. It's Messenger. Sure, Messenger is, yeah. Because gradually so f- that's been becoming more important in my uh, personal life. But I, I'm just looking at my first home screen on my iPhone. So this is what I have from Google. Google Maps. I have Google Search. I've not yeah. yet put Assistant there because I just downloaded it before the podcast. But I might. I have YouTube. Mm-hmm. So that's, what is that, three? Google yeah, Maps, I've- Google, and... YouTube. I have th- I have two from Facebook, and I have Kindle. And Kindle on the main screen. You're yeah, a devoted I, reader. I use the Kindle app a lot, and I have the Verge and Recode and Slack. So, yeah. and then I have you know app, Apple Wallet, FaceTime, Apple Photos, the camera. You know, you would expect to have a bunch of app, Apple Music, which I uh, like. Oh, this is my favorite uh, limitation of the Google Assistant on the iPhone. Oh yeah, it can't use the clock. Apple- Apple won't let people talk to the clock, yeah, so but you can't he, set a timer or but alarm. No, you it. can set a timer. This is confusing oh, not, but to not me. not an alarm. Yeah. Now, I tried to set an alarm and said it couldn't do it, but I tried to set a timer and did it. I, 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 well, I think it can keep time itself. It just yeah. can't set the system alarm clock. Right. I guess that's which the is, answer. Which but it will control strange. Apple Music. I mean, it's bizarre because that it can't control the clock, but it can control <laughs> Apple Music. <laughs> Well, I think very few apps are called on to set alarm clocks, except for the clock app. Um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's it's a weird set of limitations. Okay. But, the, but we'll there get you to are. know each other over time. Sorry. Well, that is just creepy. That sounds like she's going to murder you. I, I got to be honest. Well, with it you. interpreted <laughs> somebody saying, I don't know you. And it said, that's okay. We'll get to know each other over time. It's Ooh. very strange. And it's, and it's um, suggesting that I ask, do you know how old I am? I don't think you can learn. Do you know me? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, it's look. There's a reason I think it's not serviced in search right now. I think I think it's just it's just winding up. But so that's assistant. Then there's the physical instantiation of assistant, which is the Google Home speaker. That's getting a bunch of updates. Yeah, this one I think is interesting. That's getting notifications. They're calling it proactive yeah, assistance. Yeah, I, I saw that and thought, oh my god. So yeah, so it's just going to start notification. It's just going to start talking to you. It's going to say things like, no. "You have a reminder," or "There's not a traffic jam." My house jam. is not going to talk to me. I'm shutting yeah. that right off. Yeah, I don't think I want. I, I, my phone beeps at me enough. But even on, that, even on gonna, my even on my Apple Watch, I've turned off all but you know, like I don't know, Slack and and iMessage. I, I don't want to yeah. get any other and but, but, and but the way it works. Just to be clear, it's not going to just start talking. It the light lights up. It's going to be lit up, and then you say, what's up? And then it tells you what's yeah, going on. Yeah, I know. So yeah. it's just another notification light in your life, but there's that. Yeah. Uh, there's phone calls through the Echo. Or, I'm sorry. Am- Amazon well, just did phone calls through the Echo. Yeah. Google just announced calling through the home, which works far yeah, differently. Yeah, the difference is with the Echo, you can only call another person who either has an Echo or uh, the Alexa app on their phone. So it's kind mm-hmm. of VoIP calling uh, to those things with Alexa, whereas Google will call any mobile phone or landline using a private number. I'm not sure. I guess that's they have their own phone number. or they So they have Google Voice. Yeah. So they can route you through Google Voice. That's what they're doing. But nobody, somebody can't call you and just, although they hinted they might let you set up some list of people that can do that. I don't know. And because uh, I think this is actually a major advantage for Google right now over Amazon, they are able to tell who's talking. So if I say call mom, um, it'll use my contact list. And if you know somebody else in the house says call mom, it'll call their mother, which I think is smart. So that's a big one. Um, only in the U.S. and Canada right now. They're also being letting you set calendars and reminders again because they have multi-user support. They can recognize voices. They can go directly to your, to your uh, calendars. 
they're announcing a bunch more music services. And then this one to me is fascinating. And I know you're going to laugh at me because this is a very Neelai. Very Neelai, yeah. Um, they are letting the Google Home and the Assistant talk much more directly to Chromecast devices. So yeah. you can say, show me my calendar and it'll light up your TV and show you yeah, calendar. You know what? I just looked at that and thought, only Neelai would want this. <laughs> Well, I think it's it's a good the, idea. I mean, because let's yeah. be fair, they can also uh, show that on other screens. Sure. Uh, Google Home doesn't have a screen, and they're very conscious that Amazon just announced an Echo with a screen. So they're 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 part of the I/O program today was to say we can do screens, so we can do your phone screen, and they were careful, by the way, to say Android or iOS. We can do. Um, you know, I suppose a tablet screen or PC screen. I don't remember if they said that explicitly. And then they said, and even the TV, that's one of the screens you have, right? So, boom, here's your calendar. And they had something else, too, or the weather. So you have a calendar. They, they showed some calendar events. It was a Saturday calendar. And one of them, you know, there were recreational things. And one, and then one of them was in Santa Cruz. Uh, and so they said, well, what's the weather in Santa Cruz? Well, you know, here's the thing. The weather in Santa Cruz is always the same. It's always sunny. It's like a totally easy task. But anyway, they put it on your TV screen. <laughs> I, I I just think it's interesting. You know, Amazon built the – we talked about it last week, the Echo Show. The look or the show? The show uh, with the yeah. screen in it. The look is the, the perv yeah. one and the show is the <laughs> one with the – the show is the one that can give you the lyrics to all you need is love. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's it's interesting that Amazon also this week announced straight up TVs with the Fire OS in them. Yeah. Um, Google has, you know, there are companies making TVs with Chromecast built in. There are companies making TVs with Android built in. Obviously, Apple makes its box. There's Roku TVs out there. Google is the only one that is saying the TV is straight up a part of this ecosystem. And you should just think of it as another thing that Google Cloud talks to. And so if you say, show me this, it'll it'll light up that device over there. Even Siri, you know, Apple TV has Siri. Siri does not work the same way on the Apple TV as it does on the phone. First of all, to be fair, the TV does not by itself operate in this ecosystem unless you have a Chromecast. Sure. Uh, or a Google, what do they call it now? Google Cast instead of Google Chromecast. Cast. It's not a very expensive thing, but, you know, not everyone has one. So you do need to put an extra device, plug it in, take up one of your HDMI ports, and also power. Uh, for that to work. So that's, and then comparing it to the Apple TV, you're correct that Siri works differently and in, in a more limited way, but there are other things on the Apple TV which, cord, like I was listening, this is literally was true. I This is like a day or two ago. I was driving somewhere, I was listening to a podcast on my uh, iPhone through Bluetooth in my car, stopped the car, which stops the podcast, but I was really interested in hearing the end of it, so I went in, turned, flipped on the Apple TV just for the hell of it to see what would happen. There's a podcast app there. Clicked on it, and it picked right up where I left off. So it is part of their cloud. There are – and that's not – the photos icon on there works the same way. There's a couple of other things that work the same way. So there is some connection and continuity with their cloud system on Apple TV. Yeah. I, it, I, what I'm saying is Google is forced to think of TVs that are connected to Chromecast as just another cloud-connected screen, whereas everyone else kind of treats them as a computer, their own little computer that will do its own little thing. And there are very distinct pluses and minuses to both approaches. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, but I'm very intrigued by the – you know, there, and there's weird stuff like – You've got to have a TV that works exactly right with HDMI CEC so that when you say, show me the thing, the Chromecast can turn on your TV and switch to the right input and show you the right thing. And that's got to be fast because if it's not fast, you're never going to use it. So there's there's weird stuff. But Apple is not thinking that way with the Apple TV because it considers the Apple TV to be its own little computer. And that has other distinct pros, like it has its own interface. And you don't have to like talk to your speaker to watch a show or screw with your phone to pause a show. So there, there are huge pluses and minuses. But to me, the Google thinking of everything as just another display 
or output, input output, and it's Google I.O. after all, for Google services, they've got the most cohesive vision. And that's, it's like you said at the very beginning, and it's like Dieter says in his piece, they're all little things, little tiny things. But if you start to add them up, you, you see how Google wants you to interact with Google very directly instead of through just a web browser or through just voice or through whatever else. Right. I agree. Let's move on. This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by The Art of Shaving. What's the secret of Welcome Guy? The Art of Shaving. Founded in New York in 1996, The Art of Shaving has been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. The Art of Shaving has your total routine covered, whether you're shaving, beard maintenance, hair, skin, body, or fragrance. The Art of Shaving's award-winning products are formulated with the highest quality botanical ingredients featuring pure essential oils. The four elements of the perfect shave have been created to deliver smooth results every day. You start by prepping your skin with a signature pre-shave oil, then you create a thick foamy lather with shaving cream applied with a shave brush. You shave, then you replenish all that moisture with aftershave balm. You finish off the perfect shave with one of the Art of Shaving's five new fragrances, Sandalwood and Cypress, Oud Suede, Vetiver Citron, Green Lavender, and Coriander and Cardamom. Each cologne has been carefully assembled for a distinctive scent. The Art of Shaving offers convenient replenishment service that allows you to save on your favorite products without ever having to worry. So, Control Delete listeners will receive 15% off their first order and free shipping by using offer code WALT. To get that offer, go to theartofshaving.com, use promo code WALT, and get 15% off your first order and free shipping. That's theartofshaving.com, promo code WALT. So, there's a couple of other things we should talk about. Let's quickly... We should probably talk about Android okay. real quick. Okay. There's a new version of Android. New ver- version of Android. We didn't learn very much about it, I don't think. Yeah. We, we already have a big preview on the site, but the main things are battery life. Uh, you know, they're, they're working on battery life. They're working on security in the store, which we're going to talk about ransomware in a second. I, this is a huge deal for Google to manage the malware that comes through on Android. Yeah, so this is a big, involved. huge problem. Uh, I think the, the non-fake news stat on this is that over ninety percent of all the all the malware on smartphones is on Android, or well, mm-hmm. maybe maybe over ninety five or ninety eight percent. It's ridiculous, and so they're going to have to curate that store. And yeah. they didn't use that word because that's an Apple type word, but they're going to have to or a Microsoft type word, but they're going to have to do it. And in terms of, I love the battery management thing because how are they going to manage it? They're going to manage it by basically doing what Apple has done for years and Microsoft has done on however many people have Windows phones, which is uh, they just turn off, and, you know, they tag apps, they rank them in terms of how many need to actually be running at what level in the background, and some of them are just put in suspended animation. Some of them are put in some state where they can receive certain kinds of information or ping servers a certain number of times fewer than when they're in the foreground. They're, it's intelligent. Apple has seven or eight or nine levels on this for background apps. Android typically just everything was supposed to run all the time. and it, They actually used to tatter it as an advantage. Now they're sort of throwing in the towel and admitting you can't really do uh, the best ba- battery management unless you are smart about managing what's in the background. Yeah. And that was that was what they announced. Let's before we get to ransomware, I just want to briefly say that I thought it was quite interesting that there are now reports that Apple, in uh, possibly as soon as uh, WWDC, which is what June fifth, I think, is going to announce an overhaul of all of all of the Macs, including possibly the MacBook Air, which I thought had been you know, mark for the glue factory. Uh, some of it might, it might just be speed bumps. It might be more. We don't know. Yeah. It w- wouldn't take much to make the little MacBook actually super attractive by making it not be super slow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. And, and, yeah. and it wouldn't take all that much, you know, to make, at least some of the pros happier with the MacBook Pro if it were faster, and particularly if it had a better GPU. You know, the MacBook Air, people still love it. So, you know, I was I was talking to somebody from another one of the big five companies the other day, 
and that person was showing me a pr unreleased product, uh, and that person had a MacBook Pro, a MacBook Air, sorry. And uh, this is a person who could have had any computer uh, they wanted, but they had a MacBook Air. This is true everywhere. Uh, yeah. In in tech and in you know a lot of other places, but that's a computer that Apple seems to have marked for death. And if this report is correct, that they're actually going to do something to upgrade it, I think that's interesting news. We'll see. You know, we'll be there. We'll be covering it, but but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the basics here are that they <clears throat> Intel put out new processors the KB Lake processors, and Apple didn't use them, and Apple's going to use them. And I like that's a pretty standard cycle for Apple. They're usually actually first. Yeah, it's not it, standard because they usually are first. Yeah, no, but, I, but I mean, like, it's usually pretty fast. And here they didn't do it, and I think there was a lot of questions about why they didn't do it, and now they're just doing it. So it seems a little faster than usual. But the, you're right on the MacBook Air in particular – if they if they just keep going with that, eventually I think they're going to have to answer the question of what is the future of that product versus the little MacBook versus the 13-inch MacBook uh, Pro without the touch bar. Yeah, the 13-inch Pro without the, the touch bar. That's what – you know, I have one of those without the touch bar. Since I couldn't yeah. figure out the touch – I didn't couldn't find any use for the touch bar in my particular life, which, by the way, doesn't mean it's not a good thing for some people – Sound, people who create audio, people who create video, you know, think of use as a scrubber. There's some uses for it, but not for me. Uh, just, I just didn't find it useful. Um, so I bought the one without the bar. But, yeah, we don't have to talk a lot about it. I just think it's an interesting moment. Some of the I think the, fra the framing will be interesting, right? I mean, they, yeah, well, they, they are won't. very proud of those computers. They are... They, they, they tell anyone who will ask <laughs> that they're selling extraordinarily well, um, but there is still a firestorm of criticism about them. So I, I, this is a moment, I think, they, they never do it directly, but for them to address some of that criticism. Right. And they will never say we're addressing criticism or the, you know, we've changed our minds because they'll say, well, you know, these are, Mac, these are our Macs. We always, you know, keep improving them and here we are improving yeah. them and when when we say to them as we all will who are there, who are there wait a minute um you the macbook air looked like you were killing it they'll go we never said that we never said we were killing it you just inferred that <laughs> but that was a mistake on your part yeah it's what they'll people say. love no the it is yeah all right so so that's the mac and you know it's if it's true that they're going to do these things and particularly uh, the one on the air then that's encouraging i think and a, and a good thing let's talk about microsoft so we don't have to go over the whole story but people know certainly sophisticated uh, verge readers and listeners understand ransomware at least on the basic level what it is it's a really really uh, a bad kind of virus uh, or trojan or whatever it is malware and the interesting thing about this recent attack is a it was global uh, and it affected things like the whole hospital system in the UK uh, B it was based on a flaw in Microsoft Windows particularly older versions like Windows XP that the apparently was stolen as far as I know from yeah. everything I can read from the NSA which stockpiles exploits and Microsoft patched it on all of its newer like if you were running Windows 10 and you're keeping it up to date this wouldn't affect you but the health system in the UK and probably here has lots of embedded copies of Windows they're very old they don't there a lot of them are still running on XP or Vista or something, and uh, they're not upgraded. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't even support XP to upgrade it. They made an exception late in this process. When was it? Yep. Like 10 days ago or two weeks ago, they issued a patch finally for XP. And so it just shows you that while Windows does have this dominant market share, the bad old days when Microsoft would gladly ship a version of Windows with 1,200 horrible 
bugs in it and say, oh, we'll fix it later, um, is come back to bite them in, in the ass and bite a lot of the people uh, all around the world because people aren't keeping it up to date. Sometimes, in some cases, they can't keep it up to date because if you're in a hospital and it's a, some kind of piece of equipment that has embedded yeah. windows, you don't, you don't even have the opportunity to update. It's a really big problem. And I thought it was interesting that Brad Smith, who is the president of Microsoft and also their chief legal officer, who's been a very strong voice, I think, for security and privacy. For instance, he backed, he was probably the strongest voice backing Apple in its fight with the FBI and so forth. He took response. I want to be fair to him. He took responsibility. The first responsibility in his list of responsibilities was Microsoft. But then he attacked the NSA for hoarding exploits. I don't agree with that. I think we have the – it's not that the NSA doesn't do things I disagree with. But but having tools which allow it to spy on our enemies or to disrupt them, like to disrupt the Iranian nuclear program – um, or the North Korean missile program, both of which uh, it's a, it's widely assumed they are trying to disrupt with software exploits and malware and whatever. I want our our spy agencies to be able to do this uh, in cases of actual national security threats. I don't think it's a terrible thing. As long, and by the way, from what I can read, they told Microsoft about this. Uh, when they discovered it, but they're hoarding it. And uh, he kind of thought, he used the word hoarding, which is a loaded word. <laughs> uh, well, they do, though. That's a real thing they do. I know, but I want them to do it. It's, you're paying for it, Neelai. Yeah, do you want tough, them right? to do it or not do it? Do you want the Russians and the North Koreans to, only, to be the only people that have an offensive cyber warfare capability? No, but I, you know, the 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 question. I, ben Thompson wrote a great piece about this, and actually, I love Ben Thompson. I think he's super smart. But I definitely laughed when I read his intro, where he said, "Well, I think this boils down to a business model problem." Which yeah, is I funny read it. because he I thinks read everything it. boils down to a business model problem. <laughs> like, yeah, he could I rename Stratigraphy that with with that. But um, I thought his piece was super smart. It's worth reading. But he laid out the paradox very well, which was if the NSA doesn't hoard these things, they tell the vendors, then effectively they're just closing all the holes and the work that they put into finding the holes so they can use the offensive capability is worth nil. So there's sort of a, a paradox at the heart of it. Yeah, I think they should have some exploits. I, that's fine. And we need that offensive capability. But the, the ones for ancient Windows XP... That just poses a danger to us, and I think the difference in my really mind, you don't you don't think the North Koreans might still be using Windows XP because I do some well, knockoff sure. version of it. Sure, and uh, you know we have the, the the entire story of Stuxnet is the world's most sophisticated virus to go shut down one nuclear system in Iran, right? And like that's fine. That was basically a huge Windows yeah, but XP that, worm. What they were, you know, no, I don't think. Was that when? No, I thought that was an internal OS that Siemens was using on those, um, you know, on the on the nuclear machinery. Yes, you're right. Sorry, on the controllers for the for the uh, you know for the nuclear machinery. Per, per, and, yes, you're right. In Siemens, you're right. step seven. Yep. Steam, Stuxnet ran it. It traveled through Windows and then found the Siemens machines on the network. Right. So it, it was a combination of both. But it, it was targeting the Siemens machines, but the way that it traveled or propagated itself was through Windows. But here's the thing. Can micro So in this world where we've just seen this massive global demonstration of what can happen when people have unpatched Windows, copies of Windows, and particularly older copies of Windows, does the concept, which frankly seemed to me to make sense uh, when they did it, does the concept of saying, and it's not just Microsoft, it, it's Apple and, you know, if there's enough Chromebooks in the world someday, it will be, and they're doing very well. It could be Google <clears throat> saying we're not, well, let's take Google out of it because it's a cloud-based thing and they can update, update it every day. But the other guys, um, is it moral to say we're no, no longer going to support X version of our operating system? Yeah, and what is the cost associated with that? Here's uh, it's a philosophical quandary, right? 
what is the if you abstract it all out, what is the difference between Microsoft shipping software and all software, especially software at the scale of Windows, has bugs and exploits? It's just a fact. What is the difference between Microsoft shipping the software, the NSA independently finding an exploit and hiding it, and the FBI saying to Apple, please create us an exploit and we'll hide it? If you abstract it all the way out, you still have vulnerabilities. Right, right? but he, there is a big difference in, in, in the scenario you just laid out. And, one, and it is that the exploit in the Microsoft in Windows was in Windows when they put it on sale uh, for everyone and, and charged until the last couple of years, charged money, a lot of money for it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I used to write columns years ago about you know how it was a, just meant nothing to Microsoft to ship th- something with hundreds of bugs, and um, that's just wrong. No, you know, we we don't. You as the editor in chief of the Verge do not knowingly let the Verge publish a story that's full of errors. You just don't. Um, yeah. that's that's our equivalent of bugs. And if that means you have to hold the story, if it you, you might be furious with the reporter or the editor or whoever it was or with just life and the world that, you know, we got beat because our story wasn't in the in great shape. But you understand that it's a longer game and, you, you know, for people to trust The Verge, we can't be putting out stories with when we know there are mistakes in them. We, yeah, I, I'm saying – And I'm saying Microsoft sure, spent Sure, but if you find a mistake years, in one of our stories – you don't hold on to it because it's it's it's. Uh, I le- get it, you know. but I'm trying to say to you, Microsoft knew knew they were shipping things with bugs in them. They knew it. They I don't had, think you can ship software without bugs in it. Yeah, they knew that. They I mean, had, that's why there are iOS iOS exploits. The FBI ultimately spent like what nine hundred million dollars to crack those phones, and they, but they did it. Nine hundred thousand, nine hundred million. No. no. Was it? Oh, sorry, nine hundred thousand. Yeah, I was going to say almost a million, and then I yeah. said nine hundred million. They spent almost a million dollars, nine hundred thousand uh, dollars. That'd be amazing if they spent a billion dollars to crack one phone and find nothing. <laughs> but they spent nine hundred thousand dollars to crack those phones because there are exploits in the world for the iPhone. Yeah. Now Apple is obviously constantly patching them, but that, like I said, it's a it's a philosophical quandary because if you remove Microsoft's intent to ship buggy software, and if you remove uh, the fact that all software is inherently buggy and exploits where every operating system exists. By the way, you mentioned Google's a cloud thing. They ship Android. They have a responsibility to Android as well. And Chrome OS, although that's a little bit different. But they, they, sh- they do ship software. If you, if you sort of take out that thing, ultimately what you end up with is, do you trust the government to hold exploits to your software? And I think the answer again and again and again is, well, no, they keep losing them, and then this stuff happens. Yeah, that's in some but way. But if they keep, that's the second. But if you don't trust them, then they've got to patch everything, and you lose the offensive capability that you were talking exactly. about. Exactly. So, I mean, number one, as as tech journalists, I think we have the right to say, mm, you know, should Microsoft now rethink its policy of not supporting older versions of Windows? Should Microsoft come up with – and they have tried to do this in fairness to them. But should they sort of force an automatic update to everybody's windows on issues of security? Not features, but not monetization things, but security. Uh, I, I, uh, that's, that seems real dicey. Like supporting Windows XP forever, it, that's not a great use of Microsoft's money. Like – well, I don't know. Yeah, you, right. Like, and, and, and at some point you got to move. What on. about shutting down all the hospitals in England? Weigh that against that. I mean, you know. But isn't isn't the more isn't it better for Microsoft to say like we can make it easier for you to upgrade to to Windows 10 or what they're doing now? I mean, the big move is operating systems that update themselves. That's so right. iOS just updates itself. Android updates itself. Like. That you trade off a lot, right? You trade off a lot of flexibility with iOS in terms of what apps can do, and all the apps that they update themselves. And right now, Apple's in in you know their shift to sixty four bit. You open up an old app, it says this app is old and will die soon. Yeah. And you, you as the user, you can't just keep running it. And if you leave your your OS unupdated over time, eventually capabilities fall away from you, and your device you know becomes obsolete. That doesn't happen with Windows XP. Windows XP will just let you do any old thing you want it to do. Mac OS, in many ways, will just let you do whatever you want. 
I think that's the move, right? The move is for the institutions that have layered in these computing systems to take a little bit of responsibility mm -hmm. and say, we're not just going to let a 15-year-old OS run our mission-critical systems. Now, that's a different kind of, you know, they've got to spend money. And Microsoft can make it easier or cheaper for them to spend money. But I was you can buy support for Windows XP. I never saw the yeah. actual price, but I every story I saw sh – uh, described it as expensive. You can yeah, because Microsoft has no desire for that to be their business. Yeah, I understand. Their desires to make the better problem is products. they made it, they sold it. It was the most used until just like two years ago. I think it was the most used version of Windows still, and it's probably yeah. still used by uh, what a quarter, a third of all the Windows computers in the world are uh, still. Tom Warren, uh, our great Microsoft reporter, yeah, uh, he tweeted. It's going to be really interesting when Windows 7 hits end of life, which is actually a lot sooner than you might think. Uh, Windows 7 is you know, getting on 10 years old um, because so, so many people use Windows 7. And it's, it actually is a great operating system. It's yeah. among the versions of Windows, maybe my favorite to this day. And just like Snow Leopard is my favorite version of Mac OS. Like, apparently, I love that era of operating systems. Well, yeah, um, that's... <laughs> I love, I, love, I, I, love I love how you them, love errors of operating systems, but <laughs> Windows 7. I'm a weirdo. Like, like, I'm just, a weir I, like, I like movies from the 40s. I like operating <laughs> systems from the 80s from or the early, 90s. Yeah, from the early 2000s. They are, they but, choice. but the thing yeah. about Windows 7 that makes people hold on to it is it's the last version of Windows that didn't have this mixture of tablet kind of apps, Metro, modern, Windows, whatever they call it, uh, and classic apps. It was just – it's the last full-on classic Windows uh, OS that they ever shipped. And um, and there are a lot of people who want that, and they've held on to it. Yeah. No, yeah. all of this is important. The other thing, though, that's really troubling is how do did this group called Shadow Brokers steal stuff from the NSA? How can you steal yeah. stuff from the NSA? It, oh, as a contractor as well. That, that's the, well, the fine, reported but, belief. I mean, the NSA has some work to do then with its contractors. But, I mean, it's like, do you know who else was a contractor? It was Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden, like, I know. Yeah, it's, it's very clear that there's one problem with the NSA they should, they should shut down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> who are these contractors? I know. I, I, the ransomware story to me is it's the, 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 the promise and peril of com, com, making everything a computer, right? And where we spent the whole first, you know, two thirds of the show talking about how Google wants to put computers everywhere in silent ways right. and control them all at, at what kind of feels like one point of failure. Like if you compromise Google, the whole world falls to shit. Here, a lot of individual computers are compromised, but everything Microsoft didn't die all at once. So, right? So there's. Because a 22-year-old programmer or security guy in the UK found something in the code with this, some bizarre URL, which if it is visited, somehow the ransomware wouldn't work anymore. And he visited it. And people are speculating about why was that in there? Why, did that, why was there a kill switch essentially in there? That really, I think, is responsible for saving a lot of systems globally from this thing. Yeah, just luck. I mean, that that's like my favorite part of the story. But um, I don't know. It's it's. I think Microsoft came out, like you said, Brad Smith. His statement, I think, it was appropriately fiery. Right? The NSA. I think he compared it to the NSA losing exploits like this is the rough equivalent of the military saying we lost some Tomahawk missiles. Yeah, uh, which is quite an indictment, right? But I think it's By the way, the military has lost things. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, I think there was a case in the 50s where they accidentally dropped an A-bomb that didn't go <laughs> off. It wasn't armed, but it dropped out of a B-52 somewhere in the Carolinas or something. I don't know. Whoops. Yeah. Whoops, yeah. In that – an NSA contractor no, lost No, Brad Smith is right. And again, I want to stress to his credit – he, he put the NSA number two on his blame list. He put Microsoft number one. And that was yeah. right. I think that's smart. And I, I think that the, the thing that we've been talking about with you know new wave computing, Dieter talks about it a lot. I mean, 
things like the iPad, things the mobile replacing desktop, basically. All of those operating systems are super tightly managed. And if you look at Windows 10S and the, all of the conversations we've had about Windows 10S, the whole goal of that is to make sure that the this kind of problem with XP kind of never happens. Well, yet. it's like Apple. I mean, yeah. you know, it's curating. It's it's saying there's a very large number of things you can do with our our OS, our platform, our laptop, but not everything. And yeah. it, it's different than the idea of a completely open system uh, running, uh, you know, anything you want. Somebody will figure out a way to run. I mean, you can pay them $49, I guess, and run everything you want. We talked about that. But the idea is to try to get to a place where um, everything is sandboxed, everything is – things are not going to go crazy. And yet, yeah. and yet you still have so many more things that you can do with it than you'll ever use that you'll feel fine about it unless you're a uh, you know a super nerd or techie chaps to me yeah. a large well, part of our audience but you know and it changes the context too i mean i was in a doctor's office this week and i saw the computer is running windows 7 and i just i was like come on like can we can we do something here like oh uh, well it's worse than a, that a sticky on the screen and be like please upgrade this software i'm terrified my, I, I have a doctor. I haven't seen him in a while. I'm gonna, but he is very proud that he's a techie doctor. So yeah. when he, you know, when I'm having my checkup, he doesn't use a paper file. He uses a really weird, thick old Windows tablet from like when Bill Gates was first pushing tablets, and it runs what looks to me at a glance like XP. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. 98. I don't know, but it's you know. It's old, and it yeah. ha- and and he can't do anything about it because he bought it from a just like the health service in the UK. I'm sure he bought it from a medical vendor, not you know the way you and I buy technology. He bought it from sp- some specialized company with some specialized app he uses that ties into his record keeping system and ties into this crappy piece of hardware, and you know it's a big problem. Yeah. And so much of the early excitement about computers was built on, let's stick a Windows XP computer in it, running some custom software. So just a lot of people did that. Yep. And here we are. But again, this move to these managed operating systems is the security models are so different that a lot of these conversations are going to change. And I think Apple and the FBI was actually a peek at how that conversation changes and sort of the underlying philosophical dilemma here. Like, is it? Do you want the government to have these exploits, however they get them, whether the companies make them or whether they find them and hoard them? Like, there's. I think there's some really. I think it sort of depends on the exploit. I mean, if the if I guess if you and I knew anything, and we don't, about what the NSA is doing, we and we and somehow we had a chance to have some input, we might say to them, "Yes, please hoard a bunch of weapons you can use." But try to make sure they're not ones that could be widely destructive. In other words, be narrow, be focused. Find some narrow focus thing that just, you know, works to stop missiles in North Korea but doesn't shut down the hospitals in London. Maybe that's impossible. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. We really ended on sort of a – we started Kind of high sad. You know, we were so news. excited. <laughs> and now AI will be everywhere, but it will be complicated. We went by from the utopia to dystopia in one episode of Control Walt Elite. If there's anything that sums up both this show and The Verge, I think that's that's it. <laughs> we can we're gonna take you on a whole trip of possible outcomes. Um anyway, that's it. We're actually out of time. Uh but we've got more episodes of Control Walt Elite coming until they stop. So just be on the lookout and I I'm yeah, we I'm working can, my hardest. The last we got a couple yeah, more. We got a couple more, and I'm kind working of a very special hard. Special one, right, Eli? Yep. The last one is we're going to do something special. We're still working on it. Finalizing all the details, but we'll let you know very soon. Uh, Vergecast this week. Dieter is at IO. Our friend Dieter Bone. There's, I think, the third mention of him on the yeah, show this week. Right. Uh, we're recording it a day late because he's doing a bunch of stuff at IO tomorrow. So recording that on Friday. 
So it'll come out in the same day, but we're recording a little bit later. So just give us another couple hours to get it out the door on time. Uh, you can also listen to Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good, which is wonderful. Uh, Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is very smart. And my favorite, Recode Media with Peter Kafka, all available on iTunes. Please go find that stuff. Rate it, review it, leave us comments. You can tweet at us. We love, love, love your intros. Only a few episodes left. Intros are getting good. Competition's fierce. Send them in. I'm at Reckless. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. Uh, And we will see you again very soon. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Neelai. Thanks, Neelai.